The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, this word sila, the concept of sila, is uh, sometimes referred to as a jewel, as a gem, in that it's so valuable. And sometimes it's referred to as a, as a gift, um, that uh, virtue is a gift, that our virtue, living virtuously, is a gift that we give others to our world around us. And I think we can easily see that uh, living virtuously is a gift both to ourselves and to the world and to others. <clears throat> that we, ben- we benefit ourselves by being virtuous. That was a discussion before about how it's connected to your practice, supports your practice. Uh, and at the same time, it's a way of benefiting people around us. And people uh, trust us more, they feel safer. And, um, but I think even more useful is that people are inspired. I think that it, it, being in the presence of people who are, who, who kind of are good, uh, goodness kind of emanates from them, is uh, points to the uh, capacity for us to be good. It kind of resonates with something that feels good inside. One of the um, reflections about uh, virtue and one of the supports for being virtuous is to understand um, what it's like to be non-virtuous, unvirtuous. And generally the Buddhist analysis of psychological analysis is that when there are intentional acts done that are not virtuous, unvirtuous, uh, it means that we're uh, involved in some kind of contraction in the mind or the heart. So we're, we're, caught, we're caught in something. So we're caught in greed or we're caught in hate. Those are the two primary ones that, that the tradition points at. Sometimes we're caught in delusion. And, uh, and it doesn't feel good. If you're really mindful, it doesn't feel good to be involved in some an activity that keeps you contracted or tight or closed <clears throat> and it's stressful and um, and it feels a lot better not to be contracted to be relaxed and open and present to be at ease and so one of the motivations for some people to be ethical is not because they want to be virtuous but because they don't want to harm themselves by the contraction that uh, being unethical creates and some people um, are unethical in some ways or other um, because they think it's for their own benefit. And uh, they think that somehow getting something for themselves or protecting themselves or getting safety for themselves at the expense of others is better for themselves. And, and so it's kind of a self-centered approach. And the question is, is that really the case? Uh, what kind of society do we live in? What is, where, 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 do we, where, where do we really get our safety and well-being? Uh, in helping to create a society which feels safe for us all, or helping to create a society where there are divisions between those who are protecting their own at the expense of others, and those who are, um, you know, what, what, what works best. There are... Um, but in saying that, I also recognize that there are a lot of challenges that people experience in being ethical or virtuous. And if we just use the, the five precepts as a measure for this, um, the first one is not to kill. And then people say, well, yes, in principle, they're not for killing. 
But then, you know, what did you do about the termites in their house? You know, and termites, well, that's okay, we can kill those. But what about the mice? They're cute. They come in our house. No, they're not cute. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and so the, it goes from there, you know. So what, what about those things? What about uh, using pesticides? What about using herbicides that causes widespread damage? Um, when is it okay? Is it ethical? Do we, we struggle with that? We struggle with the snails in the garden. Uh, what about... Um, uh, you know, not lying. Well, yes, I, I believe we shouldn't lie, but, <clears throat> you know, you know, you can't really say the truth, and sometimes you have to kind of just say something kind of to get out of trouble, or, you know, you want to say something so that someone else doesn't get hurt. You know, someone at the, the bride asks, at the wedding, what do you think of my wedding dress? So the truth is important, right? So you can say, it's awful. (laughs) I think it's awful. You know, that would be a terrible, unkind thing to do for someone on their wedding, you know, day. So, so, you know, you say some, some people might lie. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. Or some people might uh, consider, you know, some wonderful, enthusiastic alternative like, wow, you gave a lot of thought to that one, didn't you? You know, hopefully they, you know, don't pick up that you're avoiding the question. So there, you know, there are places where almost everyone questions and struggles around ethics. I once was on a panel with a bunch of Buddhist teachers to explore uh, ethics, talk about it. And um, someone asked Yusilananda. He was one of the, he was a senior Burmese monk teacher here in the Bay Area for many years. And wonderful man, um, meditation teacher and scholar and and, um, and he had a temple um, and back then his was in Daly City and uh, he was one of the primary monks ministers for the Burmese community in the Bay Area so they would come with their families and for advice and teachings and ceremonies and uh, they at this conference on ethics <clears throat> he was asked uh, what is your most challenging ethical Dilemma. What is it, where are you most ch- challenged around ethics personally yourself? And he said, oh, yes. That uh, part of the precepts or part of the understanding of ethics in Buddhism is that you should not be involved in the manufacture or sale of weapons. And um, there are uh, Burmese immigrants who come here and they have a hard time finding work sometimes. This is back in 1990. They have a hard time finding work. And they, some of them end up working for companies in Silicon Valley that are making weapons. I think there was a Bradley Tanks were made in San Jose for a while. Is that right? What? Lockheed. What? Lockheed, Lockheed makes some weapons. And anyway, there were, there were clearly weapon makers in the Bay Area where some of his people were working at. And they would come to him and say, um, ask him for advice. You know, what should we do? is this okay? And his biggest ethical challenge was what to say to them. Because he knew how hard it was to find work. He didn't want them to, you know, for their families to not have work. But he also knew, from the Buddhist point of view, it's unethical to do that kind of work. So I don't remember what his answer, his solution was, but but uh, that's where he found, you know, his own challenges. So there's a lot of challenges that we can have in being virtuous, being ethical. Um, uh, it kind of comes with our society because we indirectly also. Um, 
support all kinds of uh, damaging activity in the world, um, just you know by our consumption, what we buy, and uh, you know are we innocent of uh, harm caused in the world just because the manufacturer harmed it and we're just the consumer of it? Is it what's the relationship to it? Or we pay taxes and the government uses that for build, making weapons and having a military complex that causes some harm in the world you know, that we don't, maybe we don't feel good about, some people. So there's all kinds of areas of ethical dilemmas or challenges that people have, some very personal, some a little more, uh, a little more you know, less personal, but how we live in society. And then what's it like to have those challenges? What's it like to be ethically challenged? Some people, it's very personal. Like some people have addictions. They know that they have, they're addicted to alcohol or drugs and they feel it's wrong, but they can't stop. And so how do we relate to that? So one of the ways that, uh, one of the uh, approaches to how to relate to our ethical challenges in Buddhism is to uh, do it with compassion and forgiveness. Um, to approach the uh, unethical behavior in a, or un- unvirtuous behavior in a virtuous way. So, so you know, it's not about punishment. It's not about being angry or self-righteous or you know, or cr- critical or feeling shame or feeling guilt. But it's certainly about if we're doing something unethical, it's healthy to feel, kind of, to use a non-technical word to feel yucky, <laughs> you know, feel, oh, you know, that doesn't feel good. Uh, that's, that's considered, I think that's healthy, to, you know, to, to know you're doing something unethical, mean, meaning you know you're doing something which harms someone. And that's usually the, I want to back up, the fundamental principle for what is ethical and, in Buddhism and non-ethical has to do with whether or not it causes harm. And so uh, that's the, you know, so it's unethical to cause harm it's, and it's ethical to benefit people. And so the question is what does cause harms and what doesn't cause harm? And, uh, and so that plays itself out, for example, in, in sexual ethics. As we know, we have a society that will judge people for their sexual uh, orientation uh, uh, because they think it's wrong or right or disgusting even, sometimes awful language. And uh, in Buddhism, there's no, uh, there tends not to be that kind of evaluation of sexuality, um, some abstract way of being good or bad or wrong, but rather the analysis is, uh, does it cause harm to anyone? Uh, or it doesn't cause harm. If it doesn't cause harm, almost any sexual behavior, I think any sexual behavior then uh, has, has place in society, in our, in our world, from a Buddhist point of view. And, um, and so is it is a harm? So... But so, to be unethical is to be involved somehow in causing harm. So, it, so there's these ethical challenges. And then if we find ourselves in those challenges, then how do we relate to ourselves? And this is where we can relate to ourselves with compassion and forgiveness. But not for the purposes of, of getting off scot-free so we can keep doing more of it. You know, I'm going to just forgive myself every evening. <laughs> and then to get up in the morning and do what I want to do. But rather, um, uh, as to create the atmosphere, to create the environment in ourselves so that we can uh, commit ourselves to doing better in the future. I feel yucky about this. It doesn't feel good. I'm not a bad person because of that. I'm not an uh, evil person. I'm not, I don't have to be 
burdened by guilt or shame, but I do feel a responsibility to change and make myself better. And so the orientation in Buddhism is to be backward looking at what we've done when we've done something that caused harm, to just enough to learn from it and then look forward to how we can do better in the future. So rather than being weighed down by the past, the past is a stepping stone to look ahead to how we can do better from now on. To be racked with guilt and shame is to be stuck a little bit in the past. But you don't want to ignore the past because then you don't learn. So you want to acknowledge what you've done and see it and recognize it and then kind of look forward, how can I do better? Right. So this is all as a way of introduction to the next discussion for you to have. And that is um, to have a conversation about uh, what, are your, what are your challenges around virtue, around ethics, around sila? What challenges do you have? Where, are you, where is this challenging for you, this whole area? And, um, and I thought we form groups of four. There might be, have to be some groups of five. But start with groups of four. And then just go around the circle and remember to the system where you just offer one challenge that you have. And then let the next and listen. Think of it as a listening exercise more than a talking exercise. Because you want to hear what other people say and then see what that stimulates in you and what reflections that comes for you. And maybe then you'll, you'll come up with some other, you'll discover something new that you want to say because you've heard other people speak. And you don't have to, uh, this is not true confessions. Um, you, you, you don't have to say anything that, uh, you know, you, you're uncomfortable talking about. Um, you know, you can uh, you only share the challenges you feel comfortable sharing with the group. Um, and uh, that's enough. And, uh, and as you hear people speak about their challenges, uh, this is not a time to offer them advice, you know, and, you know, get them straightened up. But rather uh, to listen with compassion, listen with care, and are shared the fact that we all have our challenges one way or the other. And, um, and just to listen to what it's like to be a human being and who's grappling with these areas and, and uh, what's going on. Um, so uh, what are the personal challenges you have in your ethics and your ability to live a virtuous life, a life of integrity? And um, so any questions about that? And then I'll do that for a little while, and then I'll ring a bell, and then I'll offer you uh, another question to answer on top of that, or building on that. Okay, for your group. So now that you've had this conversation or discussion about what your personal challenges are around uh, virtue, ethics, around sila, (coughs) uh, (coughs) what have you personally found (coughs) is helpful for you in addressing, meeting, working with the things that are ethically challenging. <clears throat> what have you personally, what, what has been helpful supportive for you so far? That, um, and again, maybe not say everything you could say and answer the question, but offer just one thing and then go around the circle and you have more chance to go around and hear. Does that make sense? Yeah, so what have you discovered 
that is supportive for you, helpful for you personally to help you deal with your ethical challenges. So given that you have some challenges around sila, what have you found personally to be helpful, supportive, to find your way through it or be with it? Okay? Thank you. So, what were those conversations like? What were the... Can we get a flavor of some of the different groups? Oh, uh, could Yolanda, can you go out and get... There's a, a couple outside on the deck. Can you tell them that we're... They can come back. You can, you can go ahead. My name is Kate, and it struck our group that at heart of the specific challenges um, in um, living a life of integrity and a moral life is if the idea is to not do harm figuring out what's the greater and lesser harm in some situations. Mm. And the support to do that is just the basic yucky factor. Basic what? The basic yucky test. Does it feel yucky? Where does it where do you feel it in the body? <clears throat> no, yeah. Now Good. what has trained us to feel a little dissonance, some cognitive dissonance or whatever uh-huh. that's manifesting itself in the gut is unclear. But um, Great. Thank you. Uh, I'm Wendy. Uh, I think uh, a theme that came up one was uh, how a lot of the challenges it does arise. Um, some of the complexity arise from that conditioning that we've all kind of have, whether it's cultural upbringing, our viewpoint in life, and and it puts us into. Um, uh, that moment, you know, and here's here's that ethical challenge. Like, how am I going to meet it given all of this other stuff that I'm carrying with me, or up until now? Uh-huh. Um, and I think some of that is like the habits, or just that's the way how things are. Even if, so, what I personally found was like, well, now even if I have the awareness of like, you know, I want to do things differently, um, sometimes. It may not be uh, at that moment having uh, enough of the energy, I guess, or to change the inclination of where where things are used to <laughs> turning. Yes. Like if the wheel has been kind of spinning in this direction, it has a momentum. Inertia also means it, it kind of turns this way. So. Uh, uh, Wanting to ex- having to exert that effort to yeah um, it's not just effort um, there's a bit of confidence and um, even though there's wisdom to want to do it but all the other things it still makes it 
challenging. Yeah, especially if you're if you're changing deeply ingrained conditioning from family, society, culture, and all that, and you're going to do something different, then it can you know people look at you like you're strange. Really, and then you have to have courage or support for doing it differently. A common one that actually people come to in the last few years to me to talk about to start practicing is has to do with uh, places of work where the, uh, the currency of conversation, like over the coffee machine or something, is gossip. And uh, at some point they don't want to gossip anymore. And, um, and then they don't participate in the conversations and they're kind of like an outsider or people look at them like they're being aloof or something. And, and how do you manage? How do you find your way? Um, with the gossip and you don't want to participate but you don't want to be you know, shunned either. <laughs> it's the subject of gossip. <laughs> Thank you. Someone, yes. Um, I think what we were um, looking at is that um, there is that the necessary ingredient of mindfulness before any response, um, whether that's an email or that's mm-hmm. a direct response or that's a... Um, we, we all happen to have neighbors that have dogs that are annoying. So <laughs> that's very <laughs> helpful. And um, I personally, I have to kind of like, um, because I, I felt like a victim all my life, I have to kind of like pause because I will feel like a victim and the response will not be appropriate. And uh, in many cases when I investigate, I'm not a victim and if I feel like a victim, I haven't done something. So I feel like a victim, but there is some part that something I can do so I don't feel like a victim. Uh-huh. And investigating what's my part. Great. Really. That's really wise. That's yeah. good. And I certainly have found that um, uh, sometimes I've been impulsive around, not being unethical, but impulsive about talking to someone in a strong way. You know, like I talk to this person, work it out, or something. And um, and it probably was wrong speech, but I feel the impulse. But I, I feel so like it's right. I have, I know. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm so sure of myself. You know, this is I'm justified. And um, so I've learned is to um, just wait. You know, and uh, wait a day or something. And sure enough, after a day, I have a whole different perspective on it, and I'm sure glad I didn't speak. Right. We, we called it restraint of pain and pain. <laughs> yeah. Re- restraint of. Uh, restraint of. Uh, green light. Restraint of tongue and pen. Tongue. Yeah. Tongue and pen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And, uh, well, in our group, we talked about uh, drinking wine with food or drinking at parties. Um, one of the precepts said no intoxicants so but we feel that as long as we're not harming ourselves or harming people around us it would be okay to drink moderately Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's uh, an evaluation people make. And the question is, uh, there, is it, so the, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, but then it, well, so some people will consider more broadly. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, maybe I'm capable of bringing uh, a bottle of beer with me for my Dharma talks. You know, I, I'm not going to do anything unethical. I'm not going to harm anyone, say anything I shouldn't say, but it's good, good to take a sip once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. And, um, but, um, so I could say I'm not harming myself. I'm not going to say anything bad or hurt anyone because I'm doing it. But, however, uh, as an as a IMC, as a kind of refuge for people, for people who are struggling in our society with alcohol, for example, and uh, it's really hard to be around society and parties and all that. And so it's good to go someplace where you can be social, a place you can practice, a place you can come to, a place you can come to terms with your addiction and, um, and feel like you're not going to be tempted or get another message. And, um, and so I'm sitting up here drinking beer. Um, I am, I might, I'm not intentionally harming anyone, but the impact is one that makes life difficult for people. And it might make it very difficult. They say, well, if guilt can do it, then, you know, I can do it, and just a little bit. And then. So, so I think that our, you know, it's a, maybe kind of a silly example, but of, um, you know, we have impact that's beyond our intentions. And at what point does our choices of how we live our life uh, include uh, the indirect impacts that we have? Uh, and not just uh, the direct ones. And that, I think that alcohol one is one, you know. And so it might be fine. Some people might decide it's fine to drink privately uh, if they know they're not going to cause any harm. And, but um, they don't want to do it, you know, publicly because around their friends that are alcoholic because they're trying to support them. And so they, they restrain in certain settings. Yeah, say your name first. My name is Kate. Um, I was going to say, just in addition to what you were saying, that uh, alcohol does loosen the tongue and the inhibition. So, you know, if you're in a situation like uh, someone mentioned before that I have familiarity with, if you have a victim mentality and you're prone to anger, you might miss that pause where you have the chance to say wait, mm-hmm. let's see, you know, what is, what's my part in this? Yeah. And I felt, found that very helpful, what was said earlier about what is my part in this. And the other thing that I've found helpful is, um, <clears throat> you know, they say that the thing that makes you angriest is the thing that you do yourself. And um, you probably all have heard of Byron Katie, who's an author, and she has this thing called the turnaround. So... Let's say you're mad at your brother-in-law for being immoral and financially irresponsible and unkind. You write it down, and then you turn it around. So you say, how am I immoral? How am I irresponsible? How am I unkind? And somehow the process of looking for your part in in a failed relationship or a difficult situation and then adding in, looking at, how you exhibit these exact same behaviors 
has the ability to open the gates of compassion, which in my experience and what somebody just reminded me is the only thing for me at least mm-hmm. that can uh, dissipate anger mm. in, the, in the moment. Nice. Very nice. Great. So um, thank you for this morning and for your explorations of this topic. The, the, the uh, you know, virtue, sila, is really foundational to the whole Buddhist enterprise. And not only because it's good to be good, it's good to be supportive of our society and ourselves. It's a support for our practice and it's an expression of the results of our practice. The culmination of our practice is kind of more ethical. And what's beautiful is the idea that we're trying to um, live in a way that um, we can live into the possibility of freedom, the freedom of the heart. And being ethical is one of the ways to live into that, to grow into it, because to be free enough, to, to be unethical is really not to be free. It's to have forces of bondage or compulsion operating. And so we're looking how to be free, and, and we're looking how to support each other in our society. So it's really a fundamental aspect of Buddhism, and uh, I hope that um, we'll continue this afternoon, but I want to... Uh, encourage you to think about it as being not something that's other or not something which is a demand from the outside, but it's really learning to recognize and see something that's within you that uh, is really kind of, um, you know, as caring for yourself and for the world as washing your hands. You know, you you can do it almost without even thinking. You just do it because your hands are dirty. And uh, so ethics is something we just do, and it, uh, we become cleaner, we become more, uh, uh, you know, it, support, it supports the whole enterprise here. So we'll now take an hour for lunch.